Hello, and welcome to We Live for Saturday, your favorite college football podcast. I'm your co-host, Mike, and with me, as always, is John. John, how are you doing today? Doing all right. Uh, we apologize. We tried to record last night, but there were some technical difficulties. We got about like three quarters of the way done, and all of a sudden, it just uh, stopped on us. But Just stopped yeah. all of our hard work down the drain. Yeah, so we're hopefully going to be able to get through this one without any issues. Um, and uh, yeah, we'll we'll see we'll see how it goes. But as always, uh, you know, you can find We Live for Saturday with Mike and John on Spotify, Apple, Google Podcast, and uh, Podcast Addict. And you can find us on Twitter, uh, which is We Live for Saturday, and the handle is at We Live for. Wait, we live. <laughs> I am now blanking. I apologize. <laughs> we live for B1G Sat. Yes, that's the one. <laughs> we live for B1G Sat. So go give us a follow, send us a DMs. We're happy to take questions or comments, criticism, all of it. Yeah, sorry. Been a long, yeah, been, been a rough weekend. Uh, but yeah, give us a follow. Uh, a review would be great. Uh, five star would be awesome. Uh, you can rip us apart any other any other way you want. That's fine too. Uh, but five star, please. Yes. So say whatever you want about us, but give us a five star review, please, and thank you. Great. All right. Should we jump into these games? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. First game, we had Wisconsin thirty eight, Purdue seventeen. Total yards, Wisconsin had 388 and Purdue had 396. So both teams were pretty balanced between the run and pass. Wisconsin had one turnover, while Purdue turned over three times. Uh, Wisconsin rebounded from the emotional jolt of losing Chesmalusi to injury to finally put a game and weigh a game in which Allen ran for 116 yards and two scores. Tanner Mordecai ran for 14 yards or 14 times, excuse me, for 58 yards with scoring runs on the Badgers' first two possessions. He also threw for 174 yards and caught two passes. Um, the first, a 19-yarder to set up his second score, and the second on a two-point conversion to help seal the game. And yes, that's right, listeners. The Badgers successfully completed two QB throwbacks in the same game. Ryan Walters has got to be apoplectic. They got burned twice on such a gimmicky play. Um Purdue coach Ryan Walters said there's a lot of different things that contributed to this loss, so it's frustrating. We're not playing complimentary football right now. Um, conversely, for Purdue, Hudson Card was 21 of 38 for 202 yards and two picks while rushing 13 times for 50 yards. Um, Tyrone Tracy had eight carries for 84 yards, and Dion Burks caught six passes for 73 yards for the Boilermakers. So... Purdue moved the ball well. They just got killed with turnovers. John, what did you think about this game? Yeah, it was uh, it was an interesting game, honestly. I mean, I, the, Wisconsin got off to a really fast start. Um, their you know their uh, air raid ground attack uh, definitely looked very effective. Um, Allen looked like the running back we've been waiting to see all season. He looked good, and I know the some of the announcers mentioned that he may have been a little dinged up. But he looks healthy now, and so that yes, was good. To, yeah, that was good to see. Um, but you know, and I guess like, and and just to say this before we we move any further, like I mean, it's heartbreaking to see what happened to Malusi to any player like that. Yes. You know, where our hearts go out to him, and you know, everyone that's affected by that. That's that's terrible. So I hope he can find a way to get healthy and 
you know, maybe get a shot down the road. So, um, but yeah, but moving on, you know, it was kind of almost a tale of two halves because in the third quarter, um, Purdue kind of started coming back and they started looking good. Their defense really started to step up and getting in the backfield, um, and stopping the run. I mean, they were, Allen was pretty shut down in the third quarter, but I think it was just a little, uh, it was too little too late. Um, Mordecai, you know, I was seeing a lot of designed runs for him, which. Yeah, that was interesting. It was interesting. I wasn't expecting that. And, you know, that, which obviously adds another wrinkle to their offense. And they're probably going to need that now, especially moving forward. So it's, it's, uh, it's looking better. Their offense is, their defense looked a little bit better. Um, you know, nothing too crazy, but. It uh, it definitely I, I was seeing some steps forward where I didn't see, you know, in the last couple of weeks. Um, but Purdue, you know, I think offensively with them, they have the, the tools are there. And especially with Tyrone Tracy coming up, I mean, he has to be their RB one from now on or from here on out. Uh, he looks fantastic. And Hudson Card, you know, it's it's all there. And you have Burks, you got you know, you have some some targets downfield that you can throw to. It's just those turnovers, man. I mean, you got if you can cut that out, you know, Purdue could have, could have made this a better game. Yeah, absolutely. Um, thoughts? I do agree. Purdue moved the ball really well. They just got killed with turnovers. Um, Braylon Allen, like you said, looks the best he's looked all year. He finally looks healthy. He's dynamic and powerful. I thought Purdue looked slow defensively. Like at times, it looked like their linebackers were running in sand. And I think team speed could be an issue for Purdue this season on the defensive side of the ball. It's either that or your defensive players or they're playing slow, which amounts to the same thing as being slow, right? If you're playing slow. True. Um, Either way, I don't think Walters has the athletes yet to run the type of kind of aggressive defense he wants to play. And so he's got to find a way for his team to play more decisively because he doesn't because he because they just I don't think they have a lot of difference makers and they have some deficiencies on that side of the ball. Yeah, I agree. Um, I agree. Tyrone Tracy has to be the starting running back going forward. He's too, he's too good with the ball in his hands to be giving Mockaby more carries than he's getting. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Purdue killed itself with first half offensive penalties, which prevented them from scoring despite moving the ball pretty well. And yeah, the Boilermakers are just a lot better offensively than they are defensively right now. And that's what they got to work on as this season goes on. Yeah, absolutely. Well, there was a quite a bit, there was a quite a few penalties on both sides of the ball in the first half. And, you know, so they both got some work to clean up. Um, you know, there was a, quite a few off offsides calls I saw from, from, uh, on Wisconsin too. And so, but, and you'd think at this point in the season, those kinds of penalties would be cleaned up, but, you know, we'll see how that goes goes on throughout the season. Yes. All right. Let's move on to the next game. And also, listeners, just so you know, we might go a little faster since we already did this podcast once. We might go a little faster than usual through it this time. So we will hit all the games, but we might not belabor all of them quite as much as we normally would. All right. We have Michigan 31, Rutgers 7. Uh, total yards, Rutgers had 257 to Michigan's 415. Michigan was balanced with over 200 yards run and pass. Rutgers managed just 77 yards rushing on 23 attempts for 3.3 yards per attempt. 
Um, conversely, Michigan ran for over 200 yards on five yards per rush. JJ McCarthy was an efficient 15 for 21 for 214 yards and a touchdown. He also ran for 51 yards on seven carries for over seven yards per rush. Um, I thought Blake Corum looked the best he's looked all year. He had 97 yards and 21 attempts and just looked like his old self. So that was great to see. And tight end Colston Loveland and wide receiver Roman Wilson made some huge plays in the passing game, John. Mm-hmm. Um, conversely, Gavin Wimsat for Rutgers struggled a bit. He was 11 for 21 for 180 yards, a TD, but also a pick. And most importantly, Kyle Manungai was totally shut down with just 27 yards on 11 carries. Uh, I said before the game that I thought Manungai needed a big game if Rutgers was going to be able to be competitive and have a chance to to win and be in that game. And it would be a long day if they couldn't run the ball. And that sort of bore out against this stout Michigan defense. They couldn't run the ball, and that kind of was that kind of spelled doom because Rutgers doesn't really have the kind of passing offense that can carry a team when they're not running the ball. Yeah. Yeah. Um, go ahead, John. What do you, what'd you think about this one? Yeah. Well, I was just going to say, you know, it, it, it obviously there, it looked like there was going to be a quick start right off the bat with Rutgers. Um, you know, that was a really impe- impressive play, you know, Kirk Shiraka special. Um, and, and, so I was I was getting excited. I was wondering. I'm like, okay, you know, is this going to be a little bit of a battle? Um, I still Rutgers was the better team in the first quarter. They were. They, ab- they absolutely were. I agree with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like, I was definitely like, okay, maybe this is going to be a little bit of a challenge for Michigan. Um, but you know, you saw them adjust right away, and mm-hmm. and I thought it was it was everything they needed to do. They like they definitely got more aggressive. Um, and really just kind of shut Rutgers down from there, there on out. And, and I do think that this, um, like I've said before, I do still think that this Rutgers team is going to be bowl eligible by the end of the season. Mm-hmm. I think they are going to cause some problems for, for some people, um, out East, but I, I, and maybe some big problems for a couple teams in the West. Um, you know, we'll have to see about they that. already got one. Exactly. Yeah. And, I don't know, man, you can't count them out. I don't, I think there should be a couple of people, um, you know, looking ahead at that and, and better make sure they're prepared going into those game that game. But, um, but yeah, Michigan did what Michigan does. You know, they, they ran the ball successfully. Their offensive line, you know, deserves, I think the title of, of, you know, possibly the, the best O line in college football at this point. Um, they were especially good in the second half. I thought. They were fantastic. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was incredible. So, and watching, and they were just that, and you're right, man. Like it, it, that team is so balanced. Now, do they have like this like deep threat, you know, like what you see with Ohio State type of type of passing game? No, but like it is methodical and it is dangerous and it is it's it's surgical sometimes. And that's the thing that's so scary with that with that team is, you know, maybe they're not, you know, throwing uh getting home run plays, you know, you know, one after another, but dude, like it, they will drive that ball and just shove it down your throat for, you know, the entire length of the field and have no problem moving it. So it's, it's just hard. It's going to be hard for anybody to beat this Michigan team. Roman Wilson's pretty electric. I think he could play for Ohio state. True. That's I'm not saying they have a bunch of guys who could do it, but he himself is great. And I think, you know, JJ McCarthy, he just reminds me so much of Drake may, Um, the way he's tall, he's quicker than you think he is. And every time that you're like, oh, the everybody's covered downfield, he finds a way to squirt out and kind of gallop out into the flat and, you know, get up field and get yards. Oh, absolutely. And I, I, the one that I'm, I'm a little 
I haven't seen a lot of uh, production from Donovan Edwards lately, and I don't know if he, if he's no. hurt or what's he's going. He's got to be banged up, right? I I have to think he is. You know, I know they tried some like some swing passes with him, and they they tried to get him involved in some ways, but it just nothing. It didn't really do a lot. So I, maybe they're trying to protect him a little bit, but you know, I don't know. We'll we'll see if that changes. No, well. But um, um, where are we? So, at? Yeah, yeah, I thought Michigan really got back to their identity in the second half under Harbaugh. They pounded the ball a bit and took control of the game physically. Absolutely. Awesome. All right. Should we move on to the next game? So where who shall we let's move on do to it. next? All right, let's do uh, Maryland 31, Sparty 9. All right. Total yards, Maryland had 362 to Michigan State's 376. So Michigan State actually outgained Maryland. So this was, uh, in some ways, a much more competitive game than the scoreboard showed. Um, However, Sparty had five turnovers, which kind of told the tale of the game. Um, Maryland ran the ball a little more efficiently, efficiently than Michigan State did, which led to a much more balanced attack. Uh, Leah Tugavailoa threw for three TDs and ran for another in the win. Maryland got off to that fast start that's eluded them the last few weeks. Mike Loxley said we talked all week and for the last couple weeks about getting off to a fast start. That's what we were able to do. Defense came up early on big with the turnovers, and we were able to convert those to scores. And anytime, you know, you pick up those. So, yeah, that was great. And anytime you pick up those intercept or those interceptions and those fumbles, you're going to have a chance um, to score. And that's what Michigan State was able to do off of that. Um, Michigan State has dropped its first two games under interim coach Harlan Barnett. John, what do you think about this one? Yeah, I think it was it was it was tough to watch, man. You know, and. I think with Michigan State, what we talked about before, I think there is more of a psychological factor going into this than anything else because I do think they have the talent there. I don't think that it's it's uh, it, the, they can't make anything happen offensively because they were moving the ball very well at times. And I, like we said, you know, if it wouldn't have been for the the turnovers, this could be a different game. But you know, it's, that can be said for a lot of games, but. But you can see it there. You can. It's not. They're not devoid of talent. This isn't necessarily a bad team. I think there's just no. so many things going on that I, I I can't imagine how you do stay focused when your future. It's got to be so hard. Yeah, you know your your future, your teammates, everything like that. You know is 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 at risk of falling apart at any at any time, and you don't know what's going on off field. And so, yeah, man, I I feel for the for the players on that team for sure, but. What we did see with Maryland is that they did not come out to a slow start. They came out swinging and they looked fantastic. And Talia did a great job as he always does. Um, and yeah, I uh, and I think uh, what I have here is uh, yeah, there. What I do have a little issue with, and I think we we touched on this before with Maryland's offensive line, is that I'm not sure. Maybe Talia just loves to you know throw on the run. Maybe that's just like where he feels comfortable. Um, but he's running for his life a little bit. 
you, you know, sometimes, you know, I still think he is. Maybe he's not because he's just so good and it's so natural. But like to me, I'm like, I still want I, I he just I never see him just set and like and yeah. be able to just be comfortable in the pocket for very long. And so I'm wondering still if that's maybe somewhat of an issue of the O-line, like being able to pass protect a little bit more. But as we've talked about or uh, as well, we've recognized um, is that the pass pro is a little bit. Uh, is is not as great across the entire Big Ten um, as the run blocking. So it seems to be an issue everywhere. That's true. And I just think, you know, Sparty, they were moving the ball that first possession, and Noah Kim just had an inexcusable pick. Yeah. And that kind of set the tone for the whole day. Um, And it's too bad because Noah Kim did some good stuff. He threw some good passes. He's quicker than you think he is when he's scrambling. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, Malik Carr for Sparty made some plays. He had a ridiculous one-handed catch. Um, and yeah, Sparty, just the turnovers are a big issue. And I think if they can elim- if they can eliminate those, they can have a shot to be in some of these games and have a chance to win some games. Yeah, absolutely. And, and with Maryland's offense, you know, we do talk about Talia a lot, which he deserves all of that praise. Um, and he deserves to be talked about a lot, but it was good to see, uh, you know, McDonald actually coming out, and he looks like he's the best running back on that team at this point. He in does. Time. He looks fantastic. So you can see that Maryland, you know, they they finally have a pretty balanced offense, and they're they're going to be dangerous for anybody moving forward. Yep, totally agree with you. All right, moving on to the next game, we have. This was probably the game of the week: the Ohio State Buckeyes seventeen. The Notre Dame fighting Irish 14 total yards. Ohio state at 366 to Notre Dame's 351. So nearly even yards wise, both teams average roughly 4.5 yards per carry. So, you know, not too bad, but not great either. Um, neither team committed a turnover, which is a wild stat in itself. And is surprising in a game where both defenses played great. Kyle McCord passed for 240 yards on 57 completion percentage on a pedestrian 6.5 yards per attempt. He did do a really good job dealing with pressure, though, as he avoided taking any sacks despite 16 pressures, John. 16 pressures, zero sacks. So I know the big knock on Kyle McCord when he was competing for this job was, is he athletic enough to to have be this quarterback? I think he's athletic enough. I think he showed that. Absolutely. Um, Conversely, Sam Hartman completed 68% of his passes for Notre Dame for 175 yards on a TV and also on about seven yards per attempt. Um. The final drive was crazy. McCord converted play after play, including a fourth down that they absolutely needed that they got by about a yard and then capped with a perfectly executed one yard scoring plunge by Chip Trainum with one second left to give the number six Buckeyes a 17-14 victory over number nine Notre Dame. Um, The craziest thing, and I want to go to it right away, and then we'll get your thoughts on, let's talk about that, and then we'll get your thoughts on the game is that Notre Dame only had 10 players on the field for the final two plays <laughs> of the game from the Irish one-yard line. One was an incompletion in the end zone to Marvin Harrison Jr., and then Trainum's decisive run that sent the Buckeyes you know, into the into victory. And Freeman weirdly says he recognized the error on the last play but wanted to avoid a penalty that would have moved the ball a half yard closer to the goal line or that would have given Ohio State another play. And he says, we are trying to get a fourth defensive lineman in the game. I told him, just stay off. We can't afford a penalty. I didn't have any timeouts left. Dude, you're on the one-yard line. You can afford the penalty. It's like a one-foot penalty. It's better to give up half a yard 
and have all 11 guys on the field. Playing 10 against 11 is a crazy decision. You have a whole gap missing on the defensive line. Yeah. How can you play and think, and that's where he ran to get the touchdown. Yeah. I just, that was a crazy decision. So that was a crazy decision. Then the Buckeyes score, and there's one second left, and Ryan Day lines up to kick the extra point. Even though nothing good can happen, you're already going to win the game. If the kick is blocked and returned for a score, that's two points, and then you're tied and going into overtime. So Ryan Day should have had his quarterback take a knee there and not kicked an extra point. So you had, I mean, we talk about these coaches and they're good at their jobs and they make lots and lots of money because they're good at their jobs. But wow, those were a couple really foolish things to do for each coach right at the end of the game, John. Your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, you know, both of those coaches, I don't, <laughs> I don't know. You're just caught up in the moment or what? what's I mean, going on, you know? It's a highly emotionally charged thing, but wow, it's that's yeah. A, it's amazing that that happened, especially yeah. the Marcus Freeman thing. Oh, dude, I I don't know. I have no idea. I've never seen anything like that before in never. all my years of watching college football. Never seen something like that. So yeah, that was nuts. But uh, you know about the game. You know I, this was a huge win for Ohio State, and I think they were they needed this more than than even Notre Dame. I think there was a lot of college playoff um implications going along with this uh it was definitely more of a defensive battle like i thought it was um i you know these are both amazing offenses but i it really came down to that defense man it was it was close it was it was a pretty exciting game defensively but i did see ohio state get cute at times you know but they eventually obviously pulled it out at the end i know that some people had some questions and whether or not this team is mentally tough but they you know, this is you can't question that at this point now. And like you talked about with uh, with uh, Kyle McCord, like, I mean, this guy can come in clutch. And we saw that that was wild at the end there. So, yeah, man, I mean, overall, I, I have to say I'm really impressed, you know, more so. I mean, yes, like we everybody talks about the offense. Kyle McCord sure came in clutch. They scored when they needed to. But the defenses were incredible. And, and I think to go up against that Notre Dame offense with, with Sam Hartman and you've got Audric Estime, that team is loaded. They are so good. and The best Irish team I can remember in a long time. Yeah, and to hold them to that low of a score is fantastic, man. So this Ohio State team is, again, um, you know, going to be absolutely elite. John gets to pat himself on the back a little bit because he predicted a defensive struggle. Now, I thought it was going to be higher scoring, so I was wrong about that. But I did predict that Ohio State was going to win, and you had the Irish. So True. You, you predicted the game more accurately, but I at least, I at least have that for myself. <laughs> um, yeah, the defense was phenomenal for Ohio State. It was, I mean, that was the stars of the day for sure. Um Wide receivers Emeka Abuka and tight end Cade Stover led the Buckeyes with seven catches each. Marvin Harrison Jr. was largely kept in check with just three catches, so the Irish mostly managed to take him away. But Travion Henderson had a great game with 104 yards on 14 carries for 7.4 yards per rush, and he yeah. had that 61-yard TD. Yep. So that was big for the uh, that was big for the Buckeyes. And Audric Estime for the Irish was fairly effective, but he still had just 70 yards. Um, for, you know, whatever reason it was five yards per rush, but for whatever reason they couldn't get him 
going any more than that. So that's a credit to the Ohio State defense as well. Yeah, this is the monster win for the Buckeyes. I have to say this is probably the biggest win for any Big Ten team so far this season. Absolutely. So, and I there shouldn't be any question anymore that Ohio State is, you know, deserves to be a top five team. Anyone who's questioning that at this point, I think, is being a little silly. Agreed. All right, should we move on to the next one? Let's do it. Okay, we had the Penn State Nittany Lions 31, the Iowa Hawkeyes 0. Drew Aller threw four touchdown passes, and Penn State's defense forced four turnovers to lead the seventh-ranked Nittany Lions past number 24 Iowa 31-0 on Saturday night. It was a thoroughly dominating performance from Penn State. Total yards, Penn State at 397, and Iowa had just 76 yards. 76 yards for the game. Iowa only had four first downs to Penn State's 27. So Iowa had, yes, you heard that right. They had as many turnovers for as first downs for. Um, The offense was beyond anemic. It was non-existent. They had 56 yards passing and 20 yards rushing on an average of 3.5 yards per attempt on pass plays and 1.2 yards per rush. That is insanely bad. That's as bad as it gets. You can't really do any worse than that in a football game. In contrast, Penn State had a balanced offense, although it wasn't prolific. It was a workmanlike performance. Drew Aller was 25 of 37. It was just 166 yards, but he had the four TDs. So he was surgical. He did what he needed to do. Tyler Warren caught two touchdowns and Khalil Dinkins and Keandre Lambert Smith each caught one for the Nittany Lions who possessed the ball for more than 42 minutes. After the game, James Franklin had some interesting comments. He said, we put a priority on athleticism. There's some bigger defense. There's a few bigger defenses, but we are athletic and we are quick and we're explosive and we're playing more consistent gap sound defense. Boy, were they ever Um, shout out to linebacker Curtis Jacobs who recovered two fumbles and The Nittany Lions held the ball for more than 21 minutes in the first half, continued to eat the clock in the second half. Um, I'd say the shorthanded Hawkeyes saw white in a blowout loss to Penn State. John, it's honestly hard to know what to say when a team dominates another as completely as Penn State did to Iowa. Um, But I think we have to give it up. We have to give it up to the Nittany Lions for a fantastic performance. What do you think about this one? Yeah, I mean, it was the only time it didn't really look like Penn State was dominating was for a brief moment um, at the beginning of the game. Uh, And, you know, through, you know, the first half, I guess, to a degree, it looked like that, you know, Iowa's defense was playing strong and doing a good job of containing or, or, you know, holding Penn State uh, to... I guess like a more, they looked a little, little bit more mediocre at times, but it it inevitably just got away with them. And as we've seen before, and we've talked about before defenses cannot hold out for that long when they're just on the field. So, so much, Um, but offensively, man, you know, Iowa, it was, it was bad. It was terrible. 20 yards rushing 56 yards passing, dude. Like you, you, there's, what are you going to do with that? Like in, in McNamara, Clearly, who was still hurt, you know, he was definitely moving cautiously in and out of the pocket. And the O-line just can't give him much time in the pocket either. Like, so that you've got this guy who's got a, you know, it looks like he's got a bum leg and he can barely move, but you're not giving him any time to even set his feet and, and throw the ball. Yeah, so, it's a problem. Yeah, dude. And then you can't run on top of that. You know, Williams looked pretty good last week, but 
against a solid defense like Penn State, clearly uh, this is going to be a huge, huge issue moving forward. Yes, that defense is good for Iowa, but like I said before in the past podcast, I don't think this is this defense is as elite. I'm not saying they're bad, but not as elite as they have been, you know, like the last couple of years. There's no um, Jack Campbell. That's no. the difference. Exactly. And he Jack was, Campbell was the best player on the field all of the time. Hands and down. So Iowa is still a very good defense. Yeah. But they just don't have that All-American who is making plays every single moment. And I think losing Lachey, man, like that's a huge blow. And we saw it. We just saw the it. The offense was rudderless without him. I mean, yep. he was really, you know, Kirk Ferentz usually bases his passing offense around a tight end that he can depend on. And Luke Lachey is that guy. And yep. Eric All was not able to be that guy. No. So, yeah, it's the the Hawkeyes really, really miss him. And it's, it is a shame that he's out for the year. Yeah. I think just the the injury bug, man, is going to keep Iowa from from winning a lot of games this year. I mean, they could still do pretty well, I think, because that defense will will probably keep them in in quite a few games. But I I'm not so sure anymore of uh, how how far they're going to get in the West. Yeah, and I this also just I'm sorry I don't mean to belabor this, but I this can't help but make you think about the Brian Ferentz contract stipulation that he that he averaged 25 points per game. Because coming in today, they were averaging just over 28 points per game. So they were on track. But after the shutout, they're only averaging 21 points per game. So they'll have to put up more points to make up for that deficit. And it just makes you wonder who was foolish enough to put this attention grabbing requirement into his contract. Because it's just a giant distraction. And even Iowa may not honor and they may give him have him keep his job anyway, no matter what, and, and just write him a new contract. But Whoever wrote this up, it was just foolish, and it's just uh, continues to be a distraction. Well, Iowa fans are not happy, and I would not be either if I were them. No, absolutely not. Uh, for Penn State side, I'd say the Nittany Lions continue to look like the most complete team in the Big Ten, offense, defense, and special teams. They're dominating op- opponents in a manner befitting a Big Ten title and national title contender, and it's just really exciting to watch this Nittany Lions team develop and see what's going to happen with them next. Yeah, man, I still think, you know, yes, Michigan is fantastic. Ohio State is fantastic. But so far, um, you know, Penn State looks like they're the most complete team is what I would say. Yep, absolutely. They they definitely are. For sure. I'd agree with that. All right. Moving on to the next game. We have Illinois 23, Florida Atlantic 17. Total yards. Illinois had 510 to FAU's 353. So Illinois you know, outgained FAU significantly. Uh, both teams threw the ball effectively, but Illinois also ran the ball effectively for 207 yards and five yards per rush. FAU was held under 100 yards rushing on 24 attempts. Uh, FAU had the one turnover, while Illinois had two on fumbles loss. Um, Luke Altmeyer threw a touchdown pass and ran for another, and Isaiah Williams caught eight passes for 120 yards to lead Illinois to a 23-17 win. Um we had talked about wanting Isaiah Williams to get more passes, to get more touches. So it's good to see him come out with a hundred plus yard game. And, you know, Brett Bielema said that he contacted Luke after benching him last week and wanted to let him know that he was still the quarterback and he was still behind him. So that obviously worked because 
Altmeyer completed 25 of 36 passes for 303 yards and no interceptions this week. So it was heard from his head coach. This was this was a game where Illinois was down early and then it looked like they were in control and then FAU kind of battled back late. So, John, what do you think about this one? Yeah, um, with this one, they looked they you know, they they eventually pulled it out. But this is a terrible FAU team. And yeah. there were still some struggles there that should just not have been. Um, I think especially with the offensive line, you know, they're, they're very fortunate that Altmeyer can move as well as he does and he can feel that pressure. He's got a lot of, he's got great awareness, but you know, they, he's got like zero time in the pocket to, to make a decision. He's always got to be on the move and that's problematic. And it was, um, you know, I know they, they pulled it out and they were actually, you know, what did look better, um, was the running game. So there was that, which is good, but yeah, man, uh, that's kind of my biggest my biggest issue on the offense is that that O line is going to continue to have issues. I think throughout the season, and as good as Altmeyer is, I think that it you know it'll it may cost them some games down down the line. But um, it was good to see at least that the fact that they got their running game going and and it looked like your typical you know Bielema offense when it came to that. But and defensively, you know their secondary too at times didn't look that great. Um, they allowed some big plays that just shouldn't have happened. Um, you know, and their D line took a while to get set, but they, you know, they eventually got there, but yeah, man, I, I just kind of expected a little, a little bit more, a little more intensity, I guess, um, defensively against a, a really bad FAU team. Uh, but you know, we're seeing, we're still seeing a lot of these slow starts from a lot of these big 10 teams. Yeah. And I will say it, they had particularly trouble with FAU's LaJonte Wester. He's the Owls career reception leader, and he was as good as advertised. He had 13 catches for 137 yards and a touchdown. So the Illini had no answer for him mm-hmm. and for some of the other you know receivers also. So that is something to watch going forward. I agree the offensive line is a big problem. And they really need to, it's hard to see how many games a Brett Pelema team is going to be able to win in conference if the offensive line is playing as badly as it is. Yep. All right. Should we move right along? Yeah, let's keep going. All right. We've got Nebraska 28, Louisiana Tech 14. Total yards, Nebraska 419 to Louisiana Tech's 338. Uh, the Huskers rode a dominant ground game to victory. They had 312 rushing yards on 48 attempts for a gaudy 6.5 yards per rush. That is fantastic. Louisiana Tech also threw a pick. Um, Heinrich Harburg was 8 of 17 for 107 yards and a TD. Um, Harbor, but Harburg did most of his damage on the ground with 157 yards on 19 carries and an 8.3 yard per rush average. Anthony Grant chipped in 135 yards on 6.1 yards per rush. I mean, John, this could have been a 90s Nebraska offense the way they were running the ball. I'm sure that made the fan base happy to see. You know, the Cornhuskers had four runs of at least 30 yards and finished with 312 yards on the ground. Um. For Nebraska, I think it's apparent that the quarterback run will be a giant part of the offense, regardless of who's playing because of a lack of depth of receiver, the lack of a proven proven passer and a shortage of running backs. Um, But they've got a couple quarterbacks who can really run the ball. So that is a positive there for FAU. Turner was 27 or 42 for 292 yards. Cyrus Allen had six catches for 102 yards and a touchdown and smoke Harris caught 10 balls for 73 yards. 
Harris has at least one reception in 37 straight games. Um, the Huskers have held, here's a great stat, have held four straight opponents under 60 rushing yards for the first time since 1999. That's a really impressive stat. Wow. Um, John, what do you think about this one? Yeah, offensively, I'll start with that is like in the quarterback, um, because clearly that's been an issue up until now. I think you if you don't start Harburg at this point in time, rule is out of his mind. Um, yeah, I think he's I think he's shown he's the guy. Yeah, I mean, the the main thing I saw that I noticed in this in this game is Harburg had zero turnovers. And yeah, you, know, you, you just it, I I think that. You know, maybe Sims will come into play sometimes, but it has to be Harburg from here on out, in my opinion. But um, yeah, I think, you know, the O-line looked fantastic. Um, Anthony Grant looks like he's just getting better the more touches he gets. Um, and I'm I'm impressed. You know, I, I don't I don't know. Um, you know, you we've talked about how how this may not be sustainable but i think at least for the time being this seems to work and it's what they, they have to do though they have to it's sustainable it's what it's what they have to do the quarterback yeah. has to run the ball in this offense they need to have that um that extra guy that extra blocker up front to help make the running game work so this is just this is this is just a situation where they got to do it and i think you know and they're doing it well right now yeah absolutely and defensively, you know, yeah, man, I mean, that front is in, is amazing. They're, they're really, they're doing fantastic at stopping the run. I did have some issues from time to time with the secondary. They did have some breakdowns, you know, uh, you know, letting LaTeX, you know, get some chunk plays downfield. And, and it looked like they, yeah. they had some tackling issues from time to time. But, you know, they, they were able to, you know, lock up and, and, and put away the game by the end. <clears throat> All right. So another a big win for Nebraska in that one pulls the Huskers up to two and two. All right, moving on. We've got the Indiana Hoosiers, 29. The Akron Zips, 27 in four overtimes, John. Wow. Total yards, Indiana had 282 to Akron's 474. Akron was balanced with just over 200 yards passing and over 250 rushing. Indiana conversely had 190 yards passing, but just 92 yards rushing on 2.7 yards per rush. So the Hoosiers could not get the run game going. Um, Taven Jackson was just 11 for 26 for that 190 yards and one TD and one pick. Um, But he did turn a trick play on a mandatory two point conversion in the fourth overtime into a scoring pass to Dequeese Carter and Akron's conversion pass and the ensuing possession fell incomplete. So the Hoosiers were able to hold on for the big victory. Um, Cam Camper caught four passes for 103 yards and a touchdown for the Hoosiers, and Christian Turner ran 13 times for 16-7 yards and a TD. So the Hoosiers recovered from blowing a 17-10 lead in the final minutes of the fourth quarter. Indiana coach Tom Allen said it shouldn't have been in overtime, really frustrating in a lot of ways, but proud of our defense. Offense was really, really out of sync and performed poorly, but found a way to get that final two-point conversion conversion there with a great call. The Jackson lined up as left as a wide receiver on that. He took a pitch from Donovan McCulley, rolled right, and hit a wide-open Carter for the winning points. So that was a good, good little trick play in their bag to pull out and get the win. Um, Akron had a chance to win it in regulation, but missed a 32 yard field goal that would have won the game. John, what'd you think about this game? This was a, this was a, a close one for the Hoosiers. Well, honestly, 
Akron should have won this game. It was a poor performance yes. by Indiana. You know, like Akron came, yeah, they came to play and Indiana did not. I mean, if they, if they hadn't have shot themselves in the foot, um, if Akron had have shot themselves in the foot so many times, this could, this could have been a totally different outcome. You know, I, I didn't, you know, J- Jackson just did not look like the quarterback we've seen in the last couple weeks. Um, it was very odd. Uh, but at the same time, man, you know, irons for Akron was, he, he was incredible, man. He, he's so slippery and he was making great throws, but he was also just like able to improvise on the run at, at all times at will. And he just, he, he was just very, very hard to take down and hard to contain. So, um, he looked fantastic. I think like, uh, you know, they had four Akron had 474 yards on this defense. Which yeah, is, and they had over two hundred yards rushing and two fifty or two hundred yards passing and two fifty rushing, so they were able to do kind of what they wanted offensively too. Yeah, I mean, and and they clearly, you know, Irons. There was a lot of these like QB design runs that he was just able to pull off, and and I really think if there weren't if Akron hadn't shot themselves in the foot, Indiana would have lost this game. Yeah, Indiana needed to win this game, and they were lucky to escape with it. Yep. Um, the defense did not show up as it has so far this year, and Taven Jackson's a young quarterback, and he's had some great moments this year, but this was a step back for him for sure, so he'll want to get back on track going into their next game. Yep. All right, let's move on to our last game of the day. The Northwestern Wildcats 37, the Minnesota Golden Gophers 34. Total yards, Northwestern ended up with 492 to Minnesota's 397. Uh, The Wildcats leaned on the passing game, while Minnesota leaned on the run, despite passing efficiently in the game. For Minnesota, Ethan Kaliak-Mattis completed 14 of 19 for 153 yards on over 8 yards per attempt and 2 TDs. He was perfect in the first half passing-wise. Uh, ben Bryant for Northwestern went ballistic in the fourth quarter. Um, and he ended up 33 for 49 for 396 yards on over eight yards per attempt and four TDs. John, this game was 31 to 10. It was 24 to seven gophers at half. It was 31 to 10 after the third quarter. But um, Northwestern went ballistic in the passing game in the fourth quarter. Minnesota made mistakes on offense defense and special teams they made some special teams blunders their defense all of a sudden their secondary evaporated into nothing and they were just unable to do anything and offensively they got conservative as pj fleck is so often want to do and getting conservative in this game was the wrong decision when northwestern got hot in the fourth quarter um this was an unbelievable loss for the Gophers to be up 21 points in the fourth quarter and lose. There's it's hard. They're hard. It's hard to put it into words. It's the worst secondary game Minnesota's played since at least 2020 and their defensive line was unable to convert their defensive line pressures into sacks, which is a problem Minnesota's had in the past too. Um, John, I, what did you think about this one? I wanted to pull my freaking hair out, um, but let's start with the positive. Let's look at Ethan and let's look at Darius. Yes. Uh, now, 
we talked last week, you know, and, and a lot of people were saying about how Ethan, you know, and he even himself said, you know, and PJ said that he played his worst game in a Gopher uniform against UNC last week. And I, yeah, he did. Um, and he needed to come back and he needed to, he needed to execute and he needed to look better. Well, he did. He, Ethan did his job. And Darius, again, third straight week, freshman of freshman of the week, looked incredible, almost 200 yards rushing. And so it's not, it wasn't for the most part in the first half, especially, but then obviously, you know, and then a little waning into the, uh, or going into the, the third quarter, um, it looked like execution was not a problem. It looked fantastic. But what I did notice in the first half. The Gophers were in total control. Absolutely. The only thing that I was scared about was the Gophers in the secondary because I was seeing um, Bryant. He was throwing those deep balls, but he was just off by a couple feet on a couple that a couple other huge, huge um, passing plays that could have gone for six on a couple of couple occasions, but he was just not accurate enough. And I just knew I was like, eventually he's going to connect. And within with Kurtz mainly, that was clearly his favorite target. But I mean, 215 yards receiving and two TDs to allow a guy like that. I mean, congratulations to Bryce Kurtz, but to allow a guy like that to go off for a career night on a team when Northwestern's been so anemic offensively the rest of the year is it's not just bizarre. It's unconscionable. Yeah. And the secondary played poorly, like you said, all night. They got breaks because Ben Bryant wasn't playing well early in the game. Mm -hmm. But the secondary played poorly the entire night. And in fact, has now played really poorly two weeks in a row. Yep. And I'm starting to wonder if Minnesota just has some issues in the secondary. But that's something that they can correct or not. But they looked better, even though, I mean, it was Drake May. So, like, I was expecting them not to have a great game, but they still looked better last week than they did this week. And that is what's scary to me. And, you know, and for me... Last week, it was one guy making a lot of mistakes. Yes. This week, it was everybody making mistakes. Yep. And that's terrifying. Now, what I do think where the blame lies completely is PJ Fleck. And... You know, and actually, before yes. we get to that, we can't get around that. Before we get to that, what the heck is going on with Brevin Spanford? Because I and we don't need to spend a lot of time Brevin on Spanford, but I have no idea what's happening yeah. to this guy. He is a shell of the player he was um, last year, and he could have had a TD and with that overtime drop in the end zone that would have given Minnesota a chance to win the game. I he has to be the most disappointing part of this offense this year and I don't know what to think about it anymore and I don't think anybody else does it's you know I know maybe he has a case of the yips um but if he doesn't get it going I think we need to start rotating in some of the younger guys and getting them some snaps and start to look you know develop some guys it's not just that he's dropping balls he's whiffing blocks too yep that's the other thing yeah and that's, so, I mean, that's a big problem because you need in this offense, the tight end is a guy who springs a lot of runs and yeah. he's got to be that guy or else you can't be on the field. That's why I'm thinking if he, if this continues, you know, let's just rotate some other guys in. Uh, I don't see how, what else we can possibly do, but yeah, back to the, the main point of this though, yeah, and I, the biggest disappointment I think other guys deserve to get snaps at this point. Yeah. But I think the, the biggest disappointment is PJ Fleck because we have seen this before. 
and every single time it makes no sense and i and i i fail to understand how we lose to teams like this and when there is there's there's no excuse because it's not for lack of talent it's not because we weren't the best team on the field it's for lack of desire to keep your foot on the gas and and really to just you don't want to win the game. It's not that you don't want to win, but it's like you you lose that mentality. You're afraid of like, to lose. You're playing. You're coaching scared. Yes. You're coaching scared. And why? Like I don't understand. It. I don't get where this this mentality comes from. And it's, it's that not, Jim it's, Trestle thing. He's internalized. This risk averse bullshit. I mean, I don't know, man. I, I'm I'm sick of it. I'm really fucking over it. Sorry. Pardon my my French. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's rough. I, the Gophers punted twice inside the 40 on fourth and three or fewer. I'm going to say that again. The Gophers punted twice inside the 40 on fourth and three or fewer. Mathematically, you cannot make that decision. This is not 2005, it's 2023. And when you have, when you're that far into opponent territory, you have to either go for it on fourth down or kick a long field goal. Those are your options. You cannot be punting and giving up the chance to score points. It is all college football at this point in time is about scoring more points than your opponent. It's not about playing. You can't just get by playing field position and hoping you're going to milk out victories. That's trestle ball. And Jim trestle had, let's remember a giant talent advantage 95% of the time. And even he got burned by that philosophy a lot of times because it's outdated. It's outdated. And so PJ is really innovative in the way he runs his program. He's fantastic in running and maintaining a program, but his coaching decisions on Saturdays, some of them belong in 2005 and are not defensible in this day and age. And he won't admit, you know, he comes out and says, defends that decision to punt and says, well, you know, the return guy. So it got punted down. The return guy could have downed it on the one, but he got, he lost track reading of where he was and he downed it in the end zone for a touchback and pj saying well if we had just done that then we would have been fine and it's like well maybe you would have but maybe not also because at that point northwestern was moving the ball at will and, and i don't want to be just also fine. you could have you could have you could have gotten the first down and just ended the game yes because you score one time in that fourth quarter. You score just once in that fourth quarter, and that game is over, and you win. But I don't want to Northwestern be just, didn't have enough time to score yeah. again. And, and I don't want it to be just fine or, you know, oh, yeah, we did enough to win the game. No, I, I, I want to see this team, which has the talent to do this, win a game where there is just dominant from start to finish. And I don't think I've seen that in, in quite some time, you know, I, yes. I like the Wisconsin game last year felt kind of like that, but even times during that game, you know, there was, there was some close calls that made me a little nervous, but, but that was, that was the mentality that I thought we were going to see this year is that it was going to be, you know, uh, you know, foot on the pedal from the beginning until the end, no matter who we're facing, you, you cannot play down to your opponent anymore. PJ, you can't keep doing this. Fleck talked about having a poised team the whole offseason. That was a total lack of poise in a 21 point giving up, you know, having a 21 point lead evaporate. Yep. Entirely. I don't I don't know what else to say. 
no. We could go it, on and on and complain, with you, it, but I don't know what else to say either at this point. Yeah. But I think now Minnesota is in a position where they are, it's probably unlikely they're going to be able to compete for a West division title. And given, given what this team has on it this year, that is, that is a failure. That's a program failure that PJ Fleck isn't able, isn't going to be competing into November. I mean, maybe he surprises us all in a couple of weeks and beats Michigan. And then we're talking about, we're having a totally different conversation, but as it sits now, Minnesota is not in a position to compete after losing to Northwestern, which is probably the weakest team on their whole schedule. Yeah. I don't know, man. And then homecomings next week. I mean, love for the Wildcats. Again, I don't want to get on the Wildcats. They played fantastic. We got to give credit. Ben Bryant was great. Kurtz was great. Um, it It was an awesome fourth quarter. Northwestern's yeah. been through a lot and we have to give them credit for that win. So that's true. You know, good for you, Northwestern Wildcats. You deserve to celebrate. You've been through a lot, not just this year, but like the last four years they've been through a lot. Yeah. Um, so that was, I'm sure a big cathartic moment for them. So I'm glad somebody came out of that game happy. Well, and you know what? And the fact <laughs> that they, they clearly, they didn't give up, man. And that's the thing. They could have rolled over at any point in time during that game, but they didn't. And that's that's yep. that's a big testament to, to that coach and that team. And you definitely have to give them credit for that because that's not an easy thing to do. Wow. So two painful weeks in a row for your host listeners. Two painful weeks in a row for us. Um, but we are still here because we love you. So thank you for making it to minute 54 of this podcast with us. Um, John, anything else you want to say before we get out of here? Yeah. Well, thank Yeah. Thanks for hanging with us. I think there was only one minor technical glitch, but we're good. We made it through. Um, We just have a little glitch. (laughs) Just wanted to say uh, again, you know, you can find us on, we live for Saturday on Spotify, Apple podcasts, Google podcasts, podcast addict, and you can find us on Twitter at our Twitter page, We Live for Saturday, which is at We Live for B1G Sat. At We Live for B1G Sat. All right. Well, thank you so much, listeners. We appreciate it. And we will be back in a couple days with our preview for next week's games. We're hoping for a lot of fan bases in the Big Ten, it's going to be a better week next week than it was this week. So we hope everyone has a great week and we'll see you in a few days. Take care.